these podcasts i have talked about the story of the partition of india and pakistan quite a number of times and each time through the lens of a different book and that's because this event the creation of pakistan or the partition of india it holds a lot of significance the whole event was a big mess preceded and succeeded by a lot of violence the scars of which remain even today in fact ever since the partition the hatred between these two countries india and pakistan has only grown to new heights and what started around that time the communal hatred i mean there was communal hatred before that also but what transpired in those times during the partition times that still governs the politics the social life of many people in the indian subcontinent and therefore once again to understand this issue better and in fact to bring some healing to these wounds and move towards some kind of light from this darkness i've got this book with me which is called a time of madness with the subtitle a memoir of the partition it is written by pakistani travel writer salman rashid and he tells his own story when he finally gets to travel to india in 2008 and then he goes to the places where his family his grandparents had lived before partition and he tells us in the book how he wanted to travel to india but could not because of the obvious restrictions that are in place but in this case not just as a travel writer to see india he wanted to understand what happened what happened to his family during the partition and uh, since there had been a lot of silence within his family members about the whole affair it made him even more curious so he goes to the punjab and delhi and the state of himachal pradesh and he finds those clues and eventually completes this puzzle so it contains a lot of interesting stories of how he travels to india what he experiences here but uh, one of the striking moments in the book that you would find is uh, when he comes across this sikh man whose father had killed salman rashid's grandfather during the partition riots and uh, he visits the house where his grandfather and the rest of the family they were hiding and uh, how the mob attacked them all the story was narrated and he, how he comes to terms with all of that all the dark past all the pain and suffering that part i think it will give a lot of strength to the readers especially those of us 
who still feel the wounds of the partition. So now I'm going to narrate a few pages from the book when Salman Rashid goes to his ancestor's home and the nearby house where the family was hiding. So here we go. For the first time, I had free run of the home. I looked inside every room and even got to climb up to the roof without the woman screaming for me to get out. Mohinder Pratap joined me and we spent three quarters of an hour exploring the whole house. He said the small pediment-shaped device looking out to the street kept the Persian lettering for some years after partition. It was then washed over and replaced with the Hindi, a faded impression of which still remains. That would have said Habib Manzil, I told him, named after Chan. Mohinder Pratap did not remember either my father or Chan. He said both lived in Karachi. When he was growing up, my father and uncle were studying one after the other at Government College, Lahore. They would have come home only in short snatches, not long enough for a preteen boy to register. One subsequently went to Rurki and the other remained in Lahore at King Edward Medical College, now a university. But Mohinder Pratap did remember my aunts, especially that they went up on the roof at the end of each month of fasting to scan the western horizon for the new moon heralding Eid. On the roof, I asked if this was from where the child was pitched to his death. He said it, odd, it had all happened in the home of the Chopras. But that could not be, I argued. My grandfather and Lala Bhikchand were friends. The family would either have been in their own home or in the protection of Lalaji. Everyone knew of your grandfather's and Lalaji's friendship. Had the mob not found Dr. Sahib and his family in their own home, they would have surely have proceeded then to Lala Bhikchand's home and would have ordered him to stand aside, said Mohinder Pratap. Dr. Sahib and his family were hidden in the Chopra's home, where no one could suspect their presence, he said, as we went down the stairs and turned left along the wall of Habib Manzil. This was Idu's room. He pointed to a green door in the wall of Habib Manzil. The memory from countless times of seeing Idu and his children emerge from that door had not dimmed in six decades. The roaring, baying mob turned from railway road into Krishna Street. Among those in the lead was Mohinder Pratap's father. The roar grew and Idu panicked. His wife and the four older children were already with my grandparents and he knew they were in the Chopra's home. The man gathered up his two-year-old boy and bolted out of the room. 
As he turned into the street at the end of which Mahindra Pratap lived with his family, the senior Segal leading the mob after him and saw him disappear into the Chopra's door. We turned right into the gated alley, the way Idu sprinted that humid August long ago. The Chopra home was the fourth or fifth on the left. As we paused outside after knocking, I could almost hear the mob behind us. Idu may have tried the door of the room where my family cowered and finding it bolted from inside, he ran up the stairs. Just then, the senior Segal ducked into the courtyard and pursued him to the roof. There, he knifed Idu repeatedly and then pitched his infant son into the courtyard below. At that moment, the leaders of the mob gathered outside the room where my grandfather, Dr. Badruddin, his wife Fatima, their daughters Jamila and Tahira, and my grandmother's father, Kutubuddin, awaited their final moments together with Idu's wife, Fateh, and their four little children. Since that March day in 2008, I have wondered many times how they would have behaved, faced as they were with certain death and violent death at that. Would they have tasted the metallic taste of fear in the back of their throats? Would my aunts have wept? Grandmother Fatima is said to have been a woman of exceptional grit. Family lore has it that woken by some knocking about in the middle of night, she found a burglar making off with a trunk. All alone, she pursued the man into the street, smacked him hard on his back and as he stumbled, snatched the trunk off his head. Another smack sent the man running and she returned home with her property. She would have kept her cool, telling her daughters to rely on God, who obviously was no longer mindful of them. As deeply religious as they were, they would surely have attempted to find solace by reciting prayers. But it would have helped very little that day. Mahindra Pratap says, through a hole in the door, a rifle or a shotgun was fired into the room. The projectile caught my grandfather in the eye and he died instantaneously. That would have been when uncontrolled wailing might have broken out in the room. By my narrator's account, the door was not smashed. Very deliberately, they undid a panel at the top to reach in and slide down the bolt. The door was thrown open. A few men entered and methodically slashed with daggers and swords the ten people who had, at that moment, lost all hope of humanity returning to the souls of the mob. That day, the lives of twelve Five of my direct family and seven of Idu's blameless people came to a violent end to become a part of the statistic of over a million dead in the partition riots. 
My grandfather was then 60 years old. My grandmother's my grandmother 5 years younger. Mia Kutubuddin, my great-grandfather, would have been 90, give or take a couple of years. And my aunt Jamila in her late 20s. Tahira, the baby of the family, was 22. while mahendra pratap and ikbal singh with his two sons waited in the courtyard i entered the room in the middle of which sat a large wet fitted with knitting arms and an electric motor around the green washed walls now badly in want of repainting rested sacks of refined flour in silence i gazed at the walls that were once spattered with the same blood as mine where would have they huddled hoping to dissolve into the brick and mortar behind them where my grandfather's body would have lain in its pool of blood what were their final thoughts i felt nothing if i had thought such a discovery would flood me with grief and i would weep uncontrollably it did not happen not wanting my friend ramneek to witness any emotional outburst i had needlessly prevented his presence and had been glad when he returned to rohtak after his short visit when i rejoined them in the courtyard mahendra pratap was telling the others of the 2 year old child being pitched into the very courtyard where we stood I asked the man of the house if he was a Chopra. He was not. He said the family sold this property decades ago and moved away from Jalandhar. We thanked the man and went out into the street. I asked Mohinder Pratap to tell me truthfully what he knew of the fate of my aunts Jamila and Tahira. No living body left this room. he said solemnly after they were done with the distardly deed the writers carted away the bodies on a barrow and uh, cremated them at the firewood store in railway road very near where kalash keeps business later kalash segal confirmed there was a tal firewood store owned by pathans adjacent to his family's property where many muslim dead were unceremoniously burned he spoke of having heard from his elders that the stench of burning and rotting flesh was so overpowering as to make life unbearable in railway road and other muslim majority areas for many days and nights <laughs>